Now, friends, I don't know if you uh, had a chance to see this, but after a blockbuster year, the five biggest Wall Street banks paid out $142 billion in bonuses and compensation just now for 2021. Uh, this was $18 billion more than in 2020. J.P. Morgan Chase reported record profits. Citigroup's annual profit more than doubled. Uh, the thing that interests me here, honestly, is, is that, uh, let me remind you, if you need reminding, 2020 and 2021 were not exactly blockbuster years for the rest of America. In other words, financial America is moving away from the rest of America big time. It started years ago. In the first three decades after World War II, American companies made money by making things, selling them at a profit, investing the profits in additional product, you know, productivity and productive capacity. This helped create the largest middle class the world had ever seen. In those years, the financial sector accounted for 15% of United States corporate profits. Then something happened. By the mid-1980s, the financial sector claimed 30% of corporate profits. By 2001, 40%, more than four times the profits made in all U.S. manufacturing. So today I want to talk about why this dramatic change. It is hugely important in terms of understanding the system we now have. Uh, and maybe the best way to begin, if you will indulge me a moment, uh, is to allow me to quote from a New York Times op-ed I wrote more than 40 years ago uh, in May of 1980. At that time, I said, the paper entrepreneurs are winning out over the product entrepreneurs. Paper entrepreneurs trained in law, finance, accountancy, they manipulate complex systems of rules and numbers. They innovate by using the systems in novel ways, establishing joint ventures, consortiums, holding companies, mutual funds, finding companies to acquire, white knights to be acquired by, commodity futures to invest in, tax shelters to hide in, engaging in proxy fights, tender offers, antitrust suits, stock splits, spin-offs, divestitures, buying and selling notes and bonds, convertible debentures, sinking. Well, I'm going to end my quote there. You can read it on the page. My point then in 1980 was that financial entrepreneurship was beginning to supplant product entrepreneurship. I honestly wish I had not been as prescient. In the early 1980s, corporate raiders used borrowed money to buy and dismantle American companies. They sold off divisions, squeezed costs, fired workers, all to maximize this god of shareholder value. The result may have been efficient in the narrowest sense, but it was socially disastrous. Manufacturing employment, unions, great swaths of the Midwest and South suffered knockout blows. The typical wage, which had been rising steadily since the end of World War II, in tandem with the increasing productivity of the nation, began to stagnate. For men without college degrees, real wages started to drop. As financial entrepreneurialism came to dominate the U.S. economy of the 1980s and beyond, speculation overshadowed investment. A, 200, a 2015 study from the Bank of International Settlements concluded that the financial sector growth harms real growth. 
Now, none of this needed to happen. Laws and rules were changed to enable it. The Reagan administration ushered in America's era of financial entrepreneurship by deregulating much of Wall Street. The Clinton administration, under the economic advisors Robert Rubin and Laura Summers, encouraged ever more elaborate financial speculation uh, by refusing to regulate derivatives and supporting Republican efforts in Congress to repeal the Glass-Steagall Act and allow the creation of mega banks. When the financial bubble inevitably burst, Obama endorsed the Bush administration's Wall Street bailout and then appointed many of the same team of Clinton-era economic advisors who, working under Bob Rubin in the 1990s, had laid the ground for the financial crisis by encouraging speculation. The bailout of Wall Street came without strings. The Obama administration didn't fire any Wall Street CEOs, did not rein in their egregious pay, did not prevent the big banks from buying back their stock, handing out generous dividend payments, imposed no losses on the bank's shareholders, didn't insist that banks stop their lobbying to obstruct reform of the financial industry. Look, there is a direct line from the public anger over the bailout to the Occupy movement and the candidacy of Bernie Sanders on the left and to the Tea Party movement and the election of Donald Trump on the right. I saw it and I heard it in Michigan in 2016. Also in Wisconsin, North Carolina, Ohio, Iowa, I conducted focus groups there. Whenever I mentioned the establishment presidential candidates at the time, Jeb Bush and Hillary Clinton, uh, people told me they didn't have a chance because they wanted Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. In fact, a remarkable number said they wanted and supported both. Again and again, I heard reference to the bailout of Wall Street as proof that the economy was rigged against ordinary Americans. And America needed a president who would be champion of working people. As Americans went to the polls in 2016, 75% said they were looking for a leader who would, quote, take the country back from the rich and powerful, unquote. Well, we obviously didn't get it. We are still living with the political and social consequences of America's turn to financial entrepreneurialism.